Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Be On Your Guard, Don't Be Duped, Deceived, or Distracted, and is based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, November 19th, 2006. They shall either be converted or wiped out, wrote St. Bernard of Clairvaux. He was speaking of the Slavic pagans in the Baltics. It would be convenient to dismiss his chilling words as something of an aberration, but to be honest, that would only be a comforting illusion. No, for the Crusaders, genocide and forced conversions, butchery and baptisms were equally works of God. The Church not only justified and even sanctified the Crusades, it canonized them as meritorious deeds that earned a person remission of sins and eternal salvation. For 500 years, from Pope Urban II's preaching campaigns in the years 1095-1096 to the so-called Last Crusader, Pope Pius II, who lived from 1405 to 1464, from Greenland to Iberia, from England to Iraq, the Church exterminated Nordic pagans, European Jews, Muslims in Spain and the Middle East, fellow Christians in Constantinople, and heretical Cathars in France. Long after the slaughters ended, the Crusader mentality had permeated public consciousness so broadly and deeply that expressed itself in literature, liturgy, art, architecture, and even in wills that bequeathed inheritances to fund future crusades. And so, <clears throat> at the end of his 1,000-page history of the crusades called God's War, the Oxford historian Christopher Tyreman warns of the dangers of sentimentality when it comes to religion. It is a fond myth, writes Tyreman, that religion and religious piety excludes greed, coercion, conformity, and lack of reflection, that it is freestanding. The language of transcendence should not distract or dupe, end quote. Tyreman's warning is as applicable today as it was in medieval Europe. And in the Gospel for this week, we read how it was even true in Jesus' day and among his closest confidants. At least four times in the Gospel of Mark this week, Jesus warns his followers, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and deceive many. You must be on your guard. Mark chapter 13, 5 and 6, verse 9, verse 23, and verse 33. These false prophets and false Christs would, if possible, said Jesus, deceive even his most intimate associates. Hints of such betrayal haunt the Gospels. Jesus' disciples jockeyed for greatness and glory. They wanted to exterminate a Samaritan village. They tried to prevent children from coming to Jesus. 
They outed an anonymous exorcist who was not part of their inner circle. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, they defended him with the violence of the sword. Christians not only slaughtered thousands of people in the medieval crusades, we were complicit in the Holocaust, we collaborated with the Soviet KGB, we defended slavery, and here in America we've aligned the gospel with nationalistic and political ideologies of both the conservative right by evangelicals and the liberal left by mainline denominations, all of course in the name of Jesus. Although some critics vilify Christianity as the worst of all offenders, I think that history shows that religious violence and religious fraud knows no boundaries and plays no favorites, either with the perpetrators or the victims. Child sacrifice, such as Aztecs who sacrificed 20,000 people in four days at the consecration of a temple in Mexico in 1487. Widow burning caste systems, female genital mutilation, witch hunts, ritual abuse, ethnic cleansing, suicide bombers, apartheid, and mass suicides. The list is depressingly long and, in fact, as commonplace as the morning newspaper. Exactly why people commit violence, evil, and fraud in the name of religion might seem inexplicable. After studying the Crusades all his life, Tyreman concludes that it's a, what he calls a quote-unquote irreconcilable paradox. Why medieval crusaders who followed the Prince of Peace endured unimaginable personal risks and privations in order to slaughter fellow human beings with such sincerity. Perhaps, says Tyreman, such violence is embedded in the contradictions of being human. But that does not mean we should ignore excuse or dismiss religious fraud and violence. Far from it. At a minimum, we should not remain silent when we see religious fraud. We should name it for what it is. We can all learn and reflect upon some of the signs that religion has become evil and that evil has become religious. Here are ten warning bells. Number one, Fanatical claims of absolute truth. I don't mean the belief in absolute truths, which I think is both tenable and admirable, but rather the doubt-free, uncritical confidence that one has understood absolute truth absolutely. Number two, identifying the gospel with nationalistic ideologies, partisan politics, state power, and ethnic identity. Number three, blind obedience to totalitarian, charismatic, and authoritarian leaders, personality cults, or views that undermine moral integrity, personal freedom, individual responsibility, and intellectual inquiry. Number four, ushering in the end times in the name of your religion. For a very painful illustration of these first four points, watch the film Jesus Camp. Number five, justifying religious ends by dubious means. Number six, 
any and all forms of dehumanization, from openly declaring war on your enemy, demonizing those who differ from you, construing your neighbor as an other, to claiming that God is on your side alone. Do you believe that God loves Iraq and North Korea as much as America? There shouldn't be the slightest hesitation or qualification in the answer. He does. Number six, pressure tactics of coercion, deception, and false advertisement. Excuse me, number eight, alienation, isolation, and withdrawal from family, friends, and society, whether psychologically or literally, as in the case of David Koresh's Branch Davidians. Number nine, exploitation in all forms of unreasonable demands upon one's time, money, resources, family, friendships, and sexuality. And number 10, oddball sectarian interpretations of scripture that have little or no support from the broad classical Christian tradition, or that disregard the best of historical critical scholarship. The wildly successful Left Behind books that have sold 60 million copies are a prime example of such scripture twisting. Often, of course, these ten danger signs combine and overlap. There's a difference between evil committed by people who happen to be religious and evil promoted in the name of religion and by religion. For example, however hypocritical and heinous his secret life, Ted Haggard, former president of the National Association of Evangelicals, did not justify his actions with religion. Sometimes the connection between religion and fraud is tenuous, sometimes it's explicit. Fraudulent religion is almost always complex, multifaceted, and bound up with other forces, social, historical, economic, cultural, ethnic, linguistic, and political. But at the end of the day, we must admit that there's far too much hate and violence in the world that's fomented with a specifically religious rationale, motivation, or justification. And so, said Jesus, be on your guard against all the many false faiths that come in his name. Don't be deceived. Don't be duped. And now for further reflection. How do you respond to the charges that Christianity has fomented hatred, violence, and evil? Number two, do you think that Christianity has done more evil than other religions? Number three, what experiences have you had with the ten warning signs above? Number four, can you think of contemporary examples of these ten warning signs? And finally, for further reflection, see the book by Mark Juergensmeyer, Terror in the Mind of God, The Global Rise of Religious Violence. 
He includes separate chapters on violence by Christians, Jews, Sikhs, Muslims, and Buddhists. For books this week, I review Sam Harris, Letter to a Christian Nation, New York, Knopf, 2006, 96 pages. If you can't read Sam Harris's award-winning book, The End of Faith, this slender volume, Letter to a Christian Nation, is a worthy substitute. Even though it adds nothing new to The End of Faith, this book now sits at number six on the New York Times bestseller list. Sam Harris's polemical rhetoric makes for a good read. Plus, he makes some important points that Christians need to hear. Unfortunately, while many have praised Harris for his fearless honesty, his strident tone, his self-congratulatory overstatements, his misrepresentations of positions that he wants to refute, and gross generalizations will accomplish the exact opposite of his goals. I guess that preaching to the choir is hard to resist, especially when they pay you handsomely to hear your first song. In this sequel to his longer book, Harris makes the same four points. First, he advances an epistemological claim to expose religion, any and all religion, as what he calls a flagrant irrationality and a ludicrous obscenity. According to Harris, in practice, religion lacks any claim to intellectual credibility. But that really doesn't matter, because he also argues that religion lacks such evidentiary support in principle. Support for, he, for religion, believes Harris, is literally inconceivable. Second, Harris makes the tried and true moral criticism that religion has fostered barbarism and cruelty although he does not explain how this calculus disproves religion, or why similar atrocities propagated by the atheism of Stalin and Mao do not disprove that worldview, or how a person could empirically prove whether atheism or religion has been more misanthropic. Third, and this is the most important point of his book, Harris is outraged at how religion has poisoned public discourse in wielded an undue influence in politics, especially in right-wing conservative Christianity and Islam. Fourth and finally, Harris accuses those who disagree with him of intellectual dishonesty. Leaving aside the ad hominem nature of this fourth argument, it's a shame that matters like slavery, stem cell research, abortion, or the problem of evil receives such smug treatment. He wants to, quote, demolish the intellectual and moral pretensions of Christianity in its most committed forms, end quote. But instead of advancing a more civil discourse about important matters of faith and politics, Sam Harris plays right into the hands of his detractors. In short, he has probably made matters worse, not better. Sam Harris, Letter to a Christian Nation. For film this week, I review Prairie Home Companion from the year 2006. The key to enjoying this film is to remember 
that it is not a documentary. Instead, it's a rendering of a fictional last performance of the radio program. But that's hard to remember when Garrison Keillor plays himself, singing, telling stories, and peddling make-believe commercials with deadpan seriousness. The live radio variety show that many people enjoyed is one thing. I remember listening to it 25 years ago in grad school. This film, however, loosely based upon it, is another thing. Without that connection, this film would never stand on its own. After 30 years, the Soderberghs sold the building to wealthy Texans, and thus the show's final act. The two Johnson sisters, Yolanda and Rhonda, played by Meryl Streep and Lily Tomlin, reminisce backstage while the show plays live in the background. Country cowboys, dusty and lefty, yuck it up. A woman who was really an angel, a death backstage during the broadcast, in a visit by one of the new investors disrupt the storyline. But watching G.K., as he is called in this film, is always a treat. Prairie Home Companion. And finally this week, we've posted a poem by Edwina Gately, a British woman who moved to the United States and who has a call to ministry and mission to women in urban settings. The title of her poem is Let Your God Love You. Be silent. Be still. Alone. Empty before your God. Say nothing. Ask nothing. Be silent. Be still. Let your God look upon you. That is all. God knows. God understands. God loves you with an enormous love and only wants to look upon you with that love. Quiet. Still. Be. Let your God love you. Edwina Gately, let your God love you. Thank you for joining journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, November 19th, 2006. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.